From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration from movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. A fascinating story. That is what you are in for today. It's going to be a treat. Amelia Earhart is our guest and uh, you'll hear the whole story about her namesake and, and what she's up to. But the, the, the lesson, there's several lessons that come out of the story. And this will blow your mind. This is a, a young woman who flew around the world recently. Her name is Amelia Earhart. Um, and you'll hear the whole story. But just the journey of preparation and all that it takes to, to pull off something uh, like a, a, a trip around the world is uh, there's a lot of a lot of great lessons. But um, her story is fascinating, and then after the story, when we go back and debrief, I'm going to share with you uh, and sort of dissect her story. This is an inspiring podcast, but it is a very, very important one for your life. So I hope you enjoy the story, and hopefully you enjoy the lesson at the end. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Amelia Rose Earhart is a woman who believes that anything is possible with a solid flight plan. You are about to meet my friend, Amelia, uh, who I just became recently acquainted with, and she is amazing. Now, you might uh, first be taken back, wait, Amelia Earhart, like the Amelia Earhart? No, that Amelia Earhart died um, several years ago, but this is the new, the Amelia Rose Earhart. Um, And just like her namesake, Amelia recently took a 28,000-mile flight around the world in a single-engine aircraft, uh, she is uh, less than 30 women have ever been the pilot in command on a flight around the world. And Amelia just recently joined this group of uh, elite aviators. And she's an amazing woman. She is a speaker and an online, uh, you know, real popular online influencer. She also works uh, for Channel 9 News in Colorado, back in my home state. Um, she was on the Today Show. And so I learned about her story and I was like, we got to, you got to hear this story. It's amazing. So, Amelia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. So let's just get the let's get the basic stuff out of the way. So you you have a very famous name, um, and I'm sure there's been ups and downs to that. Can you just tell us the story about how you ended up with the name and how it's kind of impacted your life? Sure. Well, let me start by saying that every single day of my life, I have to explain my name multiple <laughs> times <laughs> because you know when you have a, a name that is your own unique name. You know, you get to tell your own story. Well, I've spent the last 33 years basically telling someone else's story mm-hmm. before my own. Wow. And it's been an, it's been an interesting place to be because 
my family shared the same last name as the first Amelia, and my mom realized, really, and she talked my dad into it very slowly. She said, we've got a really unique opportunity here. Let's name our daughter Amelia Earhart, and maybe she'll be, you know, empowered by this name. Maybe she'll be inspired by the first Amelia story. And my dad said, that's a terrible idea. She's going to feel like she has to fly, like she has to be a pilot, maybe fly around the world. And it turns out that I did feel all of those things, and there was a <laughs> lot of a lot of obligation around having a name that big. So it took me a long time to grow into it. My family is not related to Amelia. We thought for the first 31 years of my life that we were, but I, after a couple of genealogical searches, found out that I'm actually not. So then I had to rebuild and decide, okay, what am I going to make of this really famous name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I appreciate just getting to hear your story about, uh, you, you know, what an interesting kind of sub-story going on there with identity. And, uh, you know, it can't be easy having to tell someone else's story. And now you're not only telling their story, then you're telling about how your story isn't as connected to them as you once once thought. But, uh, the, you know, the part that fascinated me uh, has nothing to do with your name, actually. It's that you flew around the world. Um, and I just, you were kind of talking about that. I was like, this is incredible. Like how much goes in? So, so, so other than the namesake, what was the inspiration behind the, the, like flying around the world? Or was that pretty much it? Well, I want to be totally honest with you. It, you know, I wasn't born knowing that I wanted to fly. I wasn't a little kid that, you know, was constantly seeking out airplanes. It was definitely a lot of outside influence with the adults around me, especially as an only child. I spent a lot of time around grown-ups saying, well, oh, your name's Amelia Earhart. You should learn how to fly someday. And there was, mm-hmm. you should do this. You should do that. And and so many shoulds. And it was it was frustrating as a kid because I had all sorts of other goals that I wanted to get into and everyone just wanted to talk about flying. And so I reached the age of 21 and my family didn't have any extra cash to give me, you know, help with school or of course not flight lessons. And so when I went to them and said, look, I've got to figure out if flying could be for me. I said, let me take a few lessons and see if this is something I could fall in love with. And they said, well, we support you, but there's no way we can help you out financially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, I've got to do this. So I, I saved up enough money and I was waiting tables and, and doing you know, a couple jobs at a time while I was going to see you. And I finally went out and took that very first flight lesson. And I don't know what hit me. I don't know if it was that push of that independence that I've got to do this on my own and figure out what this name is going to mean to me for the rest of my life. But something happened in that airplane. It was a single engine Cessna 172 in Boulder, Colorado. And I fell in love with flight the moment Mm. those wheels lifted off the runway. And I tell you, my feet have not touched the ground since. And so it truly has become my life's passion. And I just, you know, I'm so grateful for that because if I would have hated it or felt sick or uncomfortable in the airplane, imagine how difficult it would be to still have this name. Oh, yeah. Well, and so you, so you, so it did. So it hit you immediately. You're in, you fell in love with it, but then how do you go from that? Like, Oh yeah, you know, Hey, you should be a pilot one day. Cause you have this name and let me save up and do a flight lesson. How do you go from that to I'm going to fly around the world? That seems like a pretty big leap. It is a pretty big leap and it was about a 10 year leap. <laughs> 
So the first uh, first lesson eventually led to a lot of saving to complete my private pilot's license. And that was a big feat for me because then I was Amelia Earhart, who can also call herself a pilot. Mm. And that almost intensified the obligation that I was feeling from others. And granted, I was probably, uh, you know, letting that happen a lot on my own, but people would say, oh, well, that's great. You're a pilot now. So do you ever think you could fly around the world? <laughs> and, and I thought, are Damn you, you people. Is this not enough? <laughs> Right. I mean, I was I was studying to be an English teacher. I wanted to write and I wanted to work with kids. And here everyone was saying, well, you're a pilot now. You should fly around the globe. And so I kept hearing that and kept hearing that. And I finally got so used to hearing it that it almost became my own language. Mm. And it, in some ways, almost in a reverse effect, it almost frustrated me at first. And then it started to feel so good because I had this cheering squad of complete strangers I was working in television when I started planning the flight, and it happened in 2012 when I really made that switch and said, what if I did fly around the world? What would happen next? And in my private you know, home life, I would start to jot down, okay, if I were to do this, where would I go? And I would just you know, have little scraps of paper laying around. This would be my route, or this is why it would matter, or this is maybe somebody who could help. And before I knew it, I had bits and pieces of this flight plan all over my life, and no one knew about it. And when I started to piece those details of that flight plan together, and I started to say it out loud to people who were in my friend circle and, and you know, amongst my family, no one said it was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Every single person said, you've already started planning this, now you have to do it. And it became this fun challenge for me. And I saw the connection to Amelia's legacy of all the passion and the adventure that she had in her. I also had that in me, but it really wasn't being brought out yet. And I thought a really big, beautiful expression of that passion for adventure would be to prove to myself, to prove to everyone else who had been saying, this is a really cool story. This would get so many people excited about aviation. This would prove that there are still adventures to be had and that a woman could take the controls of an aircraft and fly all the way around the world and in some way sort of symbolically complete the flight that Amelia set out to do in 1937 to do it 77 years later. And eventually that happened. And I'm proud to say after two years of planning and I would say the equivalent of almost $2 million raised to make this whole flight happen, it came together beautifully, and I got oh. to fly all the way around the planet. Tell me about the $2 million, because I, that, that's something that, uh, you know, at first I think fly around the world. My first thought is, oh, my God, that's dangerous, because, you know, I don't <laughs> I, I – don't, I, to me, it's dangerous venturing from the pool down to the beach. Uh, that's danger for me. <laughs> like, so when you talk about, like, I'm going to fly around the world, I'm going, what? But, but the thought that I didn't think – until you started talking was the money. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess, gosh, I guess it would make sense. And I think there's a lot of people listening, right? They're in sales and they're, you know, just the the frame of reference. Or we have, we have people who follow that run churches and stuff like that too. So talk to me and entrepreneurs, right? Are, are, we got a lot of entrepreneur listeners and they're raising money. So talk to me about raising $2 million to pull off this crazy deal. Well, I knew that no one would support this flight if it was just the flight itself. You know, anyone can fly around the world. I knew that there had to be a really compelling story as to why I would want to do this. So before I even started raising money or trying to get sponsors on board, I decided to write out the story. Why the heck would anyone care that 
a new Amelia Earhart was flying around the world. Well, in aviation, whenever you hear a story about airplanes in the news, it's either a crash or a disappearance or a pilot shortage or no one's learning to fly or aircraft are expensive or they're breaking. I wanted to tell a good news aviation story that has not been told since Amelia Earhart's era back Mm. in the 1930s. And I thought, let's reinvigorate that spirit of adventure in a really public story using social media, using my GoPro cameras, using my phone, using uh, social media to connect with people while flying around the globe in a completely modern day and connected way. So after crafting that story and saying, gosh, I'm getting more excited after I map it out, other people will also you know, I, heck, I didn't have an airplane. I didn't have any money in the bank. I said, I'm going to go tell the people who believe in me the most uh, about this story and see if they have connections. So it was all about telling my story to anyone who would listen to it. And I started doing that. And one connection would say, oh, well, I know so-and-so who works here, or they understand the way that building an extra fuel tank might work because we had to build an extra tank to put on the plane because we couldn't cross you know, the Pacific Ocean <laughs> without it. Um, so there was a lot of work to be done, but that $2 million comes in the form of fuel, which in some countries like Papua New Guinea was up to $14 a gallon and the aircraft held 600 gallons of fuel, um, getting visas for 14 different countries, uh, security, getting the clearances to overfly countries through Africa, which in some cases just across one country would be about $3,500 just to pass through their airspace. And you have to also keep in mind the amount of money that we had to have basically as a backup plan in case anything went wrong. The insurance policies around this trip were so insane. No one had ever taken a Pilatus PC-12, which is the plane that I flew, and drilled a hole through the side. No one had ever done that to put an additional fuel tank on board. So there were a lot of people to convince this is a great story. The more momentum it built and the more people came on board, the more you know, new people would listen. And in the end, we brought together 21 partners and there were well over a hundred people who had at least something to do with the flight. And when I look back, you know, it really was a team effort. And the story of the adventure was what kept everybody else on the outside engaged as I flew that 28,000 mile stretch. Hmm. That is so wild. Uh, I mean, there's just so many details that you go into. You don't even think about, yeah, I got to get security clearance to fly through the airspace of some you know, country in Africa or some, you know, like uh, some, some whatever, any region anywhere in the world and, and the gas. So where do you stop? Like how, how often do you like, I mean, obviously flying around the world, how many times do you stop and refuel and where and that kind of thing? So I would fly between seven and 10 hours a day and I traveled eastbound. So I would left the United States and went down through Trinidad and Brazil and then straight across Africa, right along the equator, um, through the Seychelles, Maldives, Singapore, and then down through Australia and across the South Pacific all the way to Hawaii. And when you look at that stretch, I mean, you've really got to plan ahead because alternate routes or alternate landing locations, if you're flying across an ocean with no islands and no runways, There are none. So you've got to have a backup for everything. And the only thing that I did not have a backup for is that one engine. The propeller on the front of that plane was being driven by one single engine. And if I had an engine failure, I was going to glide down to the ocean, hopefully set the plane down gently enough, and then try to survive in a life raft until I could get rescued. And 
I had so much trust in that one engine on the aircraft. And it was almost having that, that one variable that could have gone wrong that made the trip, I think, really compelling to, to people who are watching from the outside. But seven to 10 hours per day, I was traveling eastbound, so I would cross three or four time zones just in one day of flight. So I would take off at 4 a.m. and some days not land until 8 or 9 p.m. I would sleep and hop back in the plane the very next day and take off and continue the next leg. So this wasn't a pleasure cruise. It was done in 18 days, mm. continually moving all around the globe. Wow. That is so insane to me, the idea of that, <laughs> like your, so this is your plan. Like if I was your friend, I was like, okay, so you have one engine and if that engine goes out, your plan is to crash and survive in a life preserver. Have you seen the movie unbroken? Like, I don't, <laughs> this does not seem like a good, this does not seem like a good plan to me. So you, you did some preparation, like some simulation for that though. I did. I've, I've been pushed out of a helicopter into the ocean, and uh, I know how to open up the life raft, get inside of it, and use the survival gear, you know, to a certain extent. So you you try me, to, tell, to me, tell me about that, like, in detail. So is this, like, a, a service you sign up for that someone, like, takes you and pushes you out there? Or did you just, like, find someone with a helicopter and do it yourself? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You can actually pay to go and do this. I always joke that my friends friends were going to Cabo for spring break, and I was going out to Groton, Connecticut to get pushed into the ocean. (laughs) But they say, you know, when you've experienced something similar at least one time before, it really does increase your chance of survival because you don't go into panic mode as quickly. So I'm so glad that I did that and also glad that I'll probably never have to use those skills. That is so wild. Um, and, and you have, um, so what, what happens then? So you, like in that scenario, they push you out, you fall in the ocean, what you have like a life raft connected to you or something? Where do you, how does that it's, work? It's thrown out close to you basically. Um, and you pull a certain tab, you get it out of its, its really light case. You've got to put your feet up on a tank that is the, the tank that inflates the life raft. You pull that as hard as you can and push away with your feet. Meanwhile, you're in a survival suit, which is a big rubber suit that zips all the way up to your head. The bottoms of your feet, all the air pockets that were in that suit, immediately shoot your feet up to the surface of the ocean so you can barely keep your feet down. It's just a big, sloppy mess trying to get into that raft. And, of course, when I pulled mine open, it opened top down and it created a suction to the surface of the ocean. So oh then I had to flip the thing over and this is an eight man life raft. So there's a lot of just effort and exhaustion that people go through when they, you know, end up in these situations. And then once you get in, you've got a very limited survival kit and you've got to learn how to ration and to use every piece of material in that kit for multiple uses. So how do you, like, if you end up in that situation, like, what do you do? Like, what do you eat? And what do you, how do you, what do you drink? Like, how do you survive? Well, in, in the survival kit, which I still have my survival kit, uh, from the flight around the world, as well as the raft, just in case, (laughs) um, there is a certain amount of water that's on, on board the kit. You've got, um, different packets of dehydrated food that are very light, but it will keep you alive. There's, there's a lot of little candies that have a lot of sugar to keep your brain functioning. There's things that are really, uh, densely filled with salt to keep you from becoming completely dehydrated. You've got 
all sorts of emergency calls that you would make while descending down. So if you had an engine failure at 30,000 feet, you've got approximately 30 minutes at a glide ratio that will get you down to the ocean at the slowest rate possible to give you as much time to prepare by making emergency calls and then also mentally prepare for what's about to happen. Oh my gosh, that is insane in the membrane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and then and then you obviously have to like if you're flying around the world the other deal is like you have to be able to fix your own deal if something breaks right like you obviously have to know the ins and outs of the aircraft and all that stuff well the airports that, that we landed at during the flight around the world there were people on hand who let's say that you know, we had a hard landing or something catastrophic went wrong. I wouldn't be qualified to make the, uh, the fixes to the plane, not okay. by any means. I'm not an aircraft mechanic. So I would have had to call and help. Now, that being said, there was a very, very narrow weather window that I was allowed to fly through, you know, because we were ahead of hurricane season. You have to watch monsoon winds when you're flying near India Around the equator, you're in the intertropical convergence zone, which the winds, the headwinds and tailwinds can shift very rapidly. So this time of the year, and I studied the climate data for the last 100 years to look at the best two weeks to take this flight around the world, those two weeks were optimal. And if I would have waited much longer, I could have gotten stuck behind a giant typhoon that made its way across the South Pacific, which did happen right behind the flight path that I was on. And on top of that, and this is not controlled, obviously, by the climate, but there was a volcanic eruption in Papua New Guinea right on the day that I finished the flight, just days before I was in Papua New Guinea. There's no way I'd want to get stuck there because they do not look too kindly on women flying airplanes into mm. their country. I would have been stuck with no way to get out of their airspace because of the ash cloud. Huh. That is amazing. So there there are so many lessons in this, I think, for people of just, you know, starting with the identity uh, to, you know, the self-talk. What do you think this whole story means for people who are not pilots? Uh, the big takeaways from the flight around the world uh, for me is that, number one, identity. You are allowed to recreate your identity and decide who you are literally at any point in your life. And I had put a lot of pressure on myself around the Amelia Earhart identity because I felt like if I didn't fly around the world, I would have left out some sort of legacy that I needed to connect to the first Amelia. But after coming back, I realized that that flight obviously was inspired by her original idea. But I know so much more about who I am by testing my strengths inside of that identity. I mean, I could decide tomorrow that I want nothing to do with aviation and I want to go be a painter, and that's totally fine. And so listening to everybody else's, you should do this, you should do that, while it eventually led me closer towards this goal, it doesn't mean that this has to be my trajectory for the rest of my life. And with that many hours of flight, over 100 hours sitting in an airplane staring at the ocean, it gave me so much time to think about that. And I want everyone to know that identity is not who you are today. It's who you decide to be from this moment forward. And that mm -hmm. to me was the biggest, the biggest challenge with this name my whole life. And I feel so much more empowered now and so much free to try everything out there, not just within aviation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that. That is so powerful. Uh, and you know, in all of this, just the, the way the whole thing kind of came around with, the name and the and identity and 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 all that kind of stuff is it's um 
it's really cool and it's 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 really in, incredible like it's it's truly uh you know the courage and the risk and the trust i mean i was thinking about the trust in that engine uh where it's like you control everything you can control but yet at some point it still comes down to trust um because you can't control everything uh, right and with so many parts of our our goals and our plans that we put out there there are always going to be variables for me the variables were the engine reliability the variables were the weather or the people on the ground. I mean, if someone came along who didn't support my flight and wanted to stop me, they very well could have. Those are things that I can't waste my time stressing about, especially in the pre-flight process before the flight launched, because if I did, I would get so stuck in my head of all the reasons not to do it, that I probably wouldn't have even gone. So the variables that we can't control, which is very similar to the aviation process and how you plan a flight, the variables, you have to take them out of your mind and only focus on the things that you do have a positive control over. Mm, absolutely. So I have one other thing to ask you, uh, the, but I want to ask you about the patch. But before that, where do you want people to go, Amelia, to connect with you and to follow you and, and learn more about uh, you know some of the speaking and the other work that you do? Well, I'm so happy, Rory, that we just launched our new website. It's flywithamelia.org, and it's a threefold site. We've got information on the Fly with Amelia Foundation, which puts young women through flight school, and we've got girls flying all over the country. Second, you can check out some of my videos where I've spoken at universities and organizations all over the world, and I'm very proud of that. And then the third is a resource page about the flight around the world. So if you're curious about the planning or the photos or the videos from the trip, it's all right there. And it's been so fun to connect with people on social media. I'll tell you, when you search Amelia Earhart, you'll see that my pictures are the only ones that are in color. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that is that is true. Well, you have inspired me. You have definitely not inspired me to fly around the world. If anything, you've inspired me to never (laughs) do that. Uh, It sounds risky, but um, this is so inspiring. And and uh, you you have a patch with you. Can you just kind of tell the story of the patch and why you keep it in your passport? I will. And I'll post a picture of that. So this patch that was given to me, uh, it was given to me on the day that I launched on the flight around the world in Oakland, California. And uh, it was on June 26th. There was a big crowd that had gathered out at the airport to send me on my way, you know, planes all packed up, everyone's ready to go. And I'm in a big hurry to get out during my slot because other planes were waiting to depart. And there's a little old man at the airport who is in a full military uniform. He's about five foot two, and I'm five foot ten. So there was a big difference between us. Totally bald. He's in his late 80s. And he's calling me over to him Come over here, Amelia, come over here. And he was kind of being held back in the crowd. And I ran over to him and I said, Sir, I'm really sorry. I have to get going. And he said, Amelia, I need you to do something for me. And he just had that look like, you know, you better listen. This guy's got something important to say. And he had two patches in his hands, identical patches with the name Amelia Earhart on them. And he handed me one and he said, you're going to carry this all the way around the world. And I'm going to keep this one. And when you get back, we're going to swap and I'll have the one that went around the globe. And I said, sure, you got it. I gave him a hug. I took the, the patch and I got on the airplane. I tucked it in the map pocket directly next to my left leg. And I forgot about it for 18 days and 28,000 miles. And when I returned to Oakland after that, you know, massively stressful, amazingly beautiful, just epic flight that I had so many doubts and fears and worries about, but also so much passion behind, 
ended that flight, parked the airplane, opened the door and got outside. And of course, my mom and my dad were there and, and there was this big happy reunion and news, news crews from all over the globe were standing there. I mean, hundreds of people came back to see the completion of the flight. And there I look in the crowd and there is the same gentleman and he's got the patch right in his hands and he's wearing his military uniform again. And I say, oh my gosh, I've got to find that patch. Where did it go? So I look in the pocket and I grab it and I run over and I say, sir, we made a deal. He said, yes, we did. And so we swapped patches and, and he had brought a civil air patrol unit with the flags from all the countries that I had flown through, which was a beautiful symbol. And he handed my mom a bouquet of roses and he pulled me in real close. I gave him a hug and I just had so much to do and so many interviews to get to. And at that moment, he leaned in very closely and he said, Amelia, there's something that I didn't tell you. He said, when I was a very little boy, I grew up here in Oakland and I was in love with aviation. He said, I begged and begged and begged my parents to bring me here to Oakland airport when I was about six years old. And I stood right here in this exact same spot. And I watched the first Amelia Earhart depart on her flight around the world. And he said, I have been waiting 77 years to see her come back to me. And you just brought her home. Wow. And that is what the flight was about. It wasn't about obligation. It wasn't even about promoting aviation. It was about the connection to people that I will never meet who are inspired by a story of someone learning who they are through taking a risk and getting out and just doing their own thing, regardless of what anyone else thinks they should do. And that connection and that patch is something that reminds me that I always have the choice to do what feels right for me and my journey. And part of my flight path now for the rest of my life is to share that story with others so that they can get out and do their own thing, close their own circles that have open endings, because that was a really beautiful moment. I love it. What a fabulous <laughs> story. Uh, folks, go check out flywithamelia.org. Uh, Amelia and I have become friends, have some good, good, good mutual friends. And uh, so I'm happy to support her. I hope you've been inspired by her story. Amelia, thank you for, for who you are in your true identity and for sharing that message. We wish you the best. Thank you, Ruth. Such a pleasure. That was so... <laughs> Interesting and so, so good, so powerful, right? What a crazy, crazy story. And I couldn't uh, imagine the preparation, the raising the money, and you know, having to learn all that knowledge and plan the whole trip. I mean, that was just just crazy. And the, the part about jumping out in the ocean, no, thank you. <laughs> um, that is not for me. But there, there were so many great things that I... I took away from Amelia as I was just listening to that. I, I mean, the the uh, I loved what she was talking about. Why would anyone care? And having to go out of your way to 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 shape something in a way to get other people to care about. And then you know she, where she's talking about at the very end there, trusting in that engine and you know all the variables that you can't control: the weather, the the people in the countries, the engine, and just focusing on the controllables. But for me. As I sit back and listen to that interview with Amelia, the way she described this whole thing, this whole identity um, around how it came to be about and how this flight happened is such a great, great example of the creation principle. So the creation principle of integrity 
is that everything, everything, all of creation starts and follows this this very simple, um, repeatable process, which is you think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. You think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. You think it, you speak it, you act, and then it happens. And when she was talking, it was it was amazing to hear her tell the story about the transformation, even in her own mind, even in her of of how. Her identity was this thing that she didn't have any control over. It was sort of given to her, and it was like this frustrating thing. Hey, you should be a pilot, and then she becomes a pilot. Hey, you should fly around the world, and it's like this. It, it starts as this frustrating thing, and then if you go back and you listen to the interview, you, you'll hear her where she transitions to going, but at some point, she turns the corner, and she asks, you know, is this you know, is this even possible? You know, like m- maybe it maybe it is possible. And then she it's she moves to the next phase, which is, well, what would it take then, if 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 I were going to do it? And then she starts mapping it out. And then from there she moves to, okay, so how would I actually go about doing those things? And then once you have clarified that how. Then it's almost like you must do it because you know exactly what it takes. It's like it's like um, it's a plan that's laid out that 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 needs to be manifested. It's it, it's a um, it's like a tool that has to be used, and I think that is the journey for all of us when it uh, it comes to accomplishing these tremendous breakthroughs. But I think her story is is a great example of where it's at first it's just frustrating and it's almost like painful like this thing is so big and uh it's 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 kind of annoying how big it is and how unrealistic but the more you think about it which is part of the creation principle of integrity which is you don't believe what's true all you believe is what you hear the most often you believe what you tell yourself to be true. That is what we believe is it, your brain is like a computer, right? It doesn't know that even really the difference between accurate and inaccurate. All it knows is what you tell yourself. Uh, you know, her story about being related to Amelia Earhart was a great example of that. She believed it was true because she had uh, was told that and her grandma was told that and her grandma's grandma was told that. And the, the first genealogist said that. And so she believed it was true until it wasn't because, and, and the same is true about you, whatever you think is possible in your life is because you have told yourself over and over and over, this is what's possible. And in order for you to get to the next level, you have to change what you are telling yourself about yourself. And yes, at first, you don't believe it. At first, it is frustrating. At first, it doesn't make sense. But you tell yourself over and over and over. And then at some point, you go to, well, geez, you know, maybe maybe that is possible. Well, if it were going to be possible, then, then what would it take? Okay, if it would take all those things, how would I do those things? And then, boom, you're there. You you think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. You think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. And you may not fly around the world, and you may not become a New York Times bestselling author, and you may not be an entrepreneur, or you may not whatever, but there is something in your life that is a dream that you want to come true. That process is the required, inevitable, unavoidable process that you must go through, and it starts by what you tell yourself about 
yourself. The thoughts that you have, you think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. And the, the good news about that is it's completely controllable what you tell yourself about yourself and what you tell yourself about your marriage and about your team and about your company, about your industry, and about your economic environment, and about your circumstances and about your intelligence. All of those things are completely controllable and you are the author. You can rewrite your life and you do it in this moment right now. You rewrite your own story. And that is what Amelia was doing. And you heard her talk about how the story was written for her, and then she rewrote it. And then the story she wrote turned out to be different than what she thought, and so she rewrote it again. And then she ended up taking this journey all the way around the world. Less than 30 women in the world and history have ever done what she just did, and it followed the exact same creation principle of integrity that is available to you. You think it, you speak it, you act, it happens. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.